Hello, Galaxy. Welcome to Odd Drummer Gaming, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. At the end of this episode, I plan on talking about Superman 2, the Donner cut. Um, we'll get to it. Um, so, I constantly talk to myself all the time, um, especially when I'm at work. I don't know. It's it's kind of a weird habit, but I've been doing it for a long time. And nowadays, I usually put these thoughts in. Well, I want to put the thoughts in the into the podcast, and by the time it gets to recording, I don't do it because I have forgotten all of the thoughts. And it ha- my memory is terrible these days. So I've I've watched a bunch of movies and some of these movies I had a, a lot of thoughts on but I watched those movies days ago or a week ago and I I don't remember all of my thoughts. Anyway, none of this matters. One day none of this will matter. I was thinking that the the name of this podcast makes no sense at all. Well, the only thing that makes sense is that I am odd. I think we're all a little odd, right? All of us are a little odd, right? I don't know what voice that was. So the odd part is accurate. Drummer, this this podcast has nothing to do with drumming, nor gaming. I believe the intro to this podcast that I put, episode zero, I was going to be talking about drumming, and that didn't pan out at all. I believe directly with episode one, I started with Super Mario Brothers, the movie. So I started out wanting to talk about movies based on video games, and then I started to branch out. Um, I I start I I did do it for a while, but then I branched out immediately, and now it's kind of a a direct ripoff of Pat's Movie Corner from We'll See You in Hell, which I mean I'm enjoying it. But I'm maybe I should change the name of the podcast to like disconnect the disconnect disconnected disconnect Ed disconnect Edmund. Um, I'm a stupid asshole. So let me know which one of those are are a good name for the podcast. So before we begin with the movie corner, and at the end we'll talk about Super Mar- Super Superman Two. I have to explain that I was watching the special features on the Superman Blu-ray, and I was looking at the screen tests of the different women who auditioned for Lois Lane. Most of them I had never heard of. Some of them I did, like Stalker Channing has a screen test for Lois Lane. Um, Leslie Ann Warren has a screen test for Lois Lane. And there were a few women who I had never heard of. Susan Blakely, I think, Deborah Raffin, and Ann Archer. So, Ann Archer, we'll get to her, but all of the screen tests were fine, you know. They were perfectly fine screen tests and i the easy thing to say is that margot kidder was the best screen test i mean it's easy to say because we we have the benefit of well, i don't know how to say it 
we all know that she got the part and she was great in the part. So it's it's obviously it's very easy to say Margot Kidder was the best. At the same time, she kind of was the best, you know, it, it's hard to argue. But all the rest were fine. Although, you know, to be honest, like Leslie Ann Warren was kind of going over the top, like a little bit too bubbly, too hyper almost. And everyone has pros and cons. But I got to Ann Archer and I found her to be very attractive. Um, so I, I'd never heard of her name, never seen her before. So I looked her up. Looking through her filmography, she's been working since the 70s. And I had never heard most of her movies that she's been in. And she's she was like she played Harrison Ford's wife in like Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger, I think, which I had heard of. I don't remember much about those two movies. But my point is I kind of went on a kind of a lengthy binge of Ann Archer movies. Um, so that's going to be a running theme throughout um, the movies I've seen in the past week or so. I just wanted to explain that a little bit. And the first one and the best one, because according to Ann Archer's filmography, she she got a supporting actress nom for this, was Fatal Attraction. And I was kind of surprised to see it. I, I don't know why I was surprised. Maybe I wasn't surprised. I don't know why I said that. But Pat mentioned Fatal Attraction one or two times on We'll See You in Hell, and he mentioned it recently because the director of Fatal Attraction is Adrian Lin, and he also directed the recent movie Deep Water with uh, Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas. So he's been making like erotic thrillers, I guess you could say, for many years. Fatal Attraction, I believe, is from 1987, and I I really like the movie. I I like the movie so much. I almost like after I watched it, I wanted to make an episode about it. Um, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to talk about it now. But here's the thing. Okay, so here's what I wanted to talk about. Glenn Close. I've heard the name Glenn Close since I was like born. I I've I've been familiar with Glenn Close for many, many years. I haven't really seen much of her movies, but I've seen her face in thumbnails and posters and billboards and all this stuff on in commercials and movie trailers. And I've always known her to I mean and I don't mean to be mean. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be crass or I, I apologize in advance for my personality and soul and my comments but Glenn Close to me has I always think of and thought of as an old woman and an, an old woman that I'm f- frankly not attracted to I just don't find her attractive and that's you know it, it all comes down to, to um, preference if everyone was attracted to everyone like this, the world wouldn't work. Um, so I just always thought of, I have this old woman image of her and I don't find her attractive. That's just, that's just it. Like 
on We'll See You in Hell, Joe kept saying that Firuza, Firuza Bulk was her eyes sparkle like the Nile. And Pat thinks she seems too crazy. And Joe thinks, um, I'm blanking on the name, but uh, Michael, the guy from Reservoir Dog, I, I forget the name, but his sister, I think she was the, at the beginning of Dune, 1984. Um, he says that she's very attractive, and Pat just doesn't see it either. So it all it all comes down to preference. So I don't. I think of Glenn Close as an older woman that I am not attracted to. And then in this movie, she's significantly younger. And yeah, she's more attract. I mean, again, I apologize, but. You know, we're all going to look more attractive younger than we are older. Or I feel I have already misspoke. I should delete this podcast and myself. I should dilute my soul from the earth. But my issue with the beginning of this movie is that is that Ann Archer plays Michael Douglas's wife and Glenn Close plays a woman that Michael Douglas has an affair with. And the movie opens with Ann Archer with like no pants on, trying to find clothes, I think. Also, a short, small appearance by Jane Krakowski playing the babysitter. Like they never close up on her face, but I I somehow recognized her, a, a young Jane Krakowski. And I don't know how I recognized her. I'm I'm not like a secret Jane Krakowski fan, but it w- it was nice seeing her in this movie, an early role. I don't know if it's her first role or what, but and I so here's my issue. I find Ann Archer to be approximately eighty billion times more attractive than Glenn Close. So Ann Archer is like. You know, she's probably like 39, 40 in this movie. I believe she was born 47. This movie came out 87. So she's like 40 when the movie came out. I don't know how Glenn Close was, but... Like, Glenn Close's introduction is... They're at this party. And Ann Archer's looking... uh, Let's just move on. Because Ann Archer... I'm gonna... I'm gonna be like, oh... Um, Ann Archer looks fine... And I be I mean that in a like a fine, you know. And then Michael Douglas's friend is like a wannabe Newman character. And he tries to hit on Glenn Close. And he's like, if looks could kill. And I I at, at the beginning of this movie I, I was like confused because I'm like, really? That he's gonna be attracted to Glenn Close at while he has and Archer at home as his wife. And then, you know, by the end of the movie, everything makes sense. And I started thinking maybe that's the point of the movie because you have a beautiful wife at home, you have a beautiful child at home, you have a beautiful family. But when you're, when you get the opportunity for sex, you're going to go for it, even when everything's good and well at home. I, I guess that's the theme. But um that was my issue at the beginning of the movie um all right moving on i i liked the movie a lot uh 
Um, the first really tense moment in the movie is when Glenn Close is like trying to reconcile with Michael Douglas and they're like embracing and he has, she has her hands to his face and he's like, your hands are wet. And he notices, he sees that she has cut herself and he, she is like wiping blood, not wiping, but blood's coming out of her wrists and spilling onto his face. So he tries to comfort her and she basically goes nuts and at first she's like are you discreet i'm discreet and then they have an affair but he was like well yeah we had our fun i like you but i am with someone else so i have to get back to my family and she can't accept it she goes nuts and she's like oh you she, she just gets really angry at him and it was interesting because the initial ending cuz i ended i actually ended up buying this on DVD, I hope it has the alternate ending so I can see it. But the first ending they shot was, I guess, when he goes over at towards the end of the movie when he goes over to her apartment or whatever and a- attacks her. He puts a knife down on the counter and and then leaves. And I I believe the and. I believe the alternate ending is she picks up the knife and kills herself, commits suicide, and kind of frames him, and it looks like he killed her. And I guess there was this cinematic scene of her doing it with Madame Butterfly playing in the background. I apologize if you can hear a lawnmower in the background. Again, I apologize if you can hear this stupid fucking lawnmower in the background. Um, maybe I should talk louder. And then Ann Archer is kind of trying to investigate and look into things. And she finds a recording that, that Glenn Close made threatening to kill herself. So that exonerates Michael Douglas and he gets off. And that was the alternate ending, I believe. And then they told, they said, we um, test audiences didn't like it. They want like a, I don't know, they want a happier ending or something like that. So they shot the, the real, the theatrical ending, ending and Glenn Close had her reservations and she really didn't like the new ending. And I was reading up on it and I guess the producers or directors didn't want initially they didn't want Glenn close because they didn't think she my voice cracked they didn't think she could be sexy for the movie or sexy enough but she was insistent and persistent so she kept pushing for it and get, she got it and I also read that Glenn close didn't like the new ending she like really got attached to the character she liked the character she went deep psychologically with this character and she didn't like the the theatrical ending which ends with her with Glenn Close coming to their house and attacking Ann Archer and Michael Douglas rushes upstairs and fights with her and then Ann Archer ends up shooting Glenn Close with a gun killing her um I forgot to mention the most intense scene sequence in the movie, which was very well done, was when 
they the family gets home and Ann Archer sees that there is a pot of boiling something there's a pot on the stove boiling with the fire on and they had just been out they just got home so her face is like what what what's this what's going on and it's a slow scene at first and i really thought that glenn like when Ann archer approaches the pot glenn close would come out from behind her and like knock her out or attack her with a knife or something but then with really nice editing techniques they edit the daughter ellen going outside to play with her rabbit and then an archer gets to the pot opens the pot and it's the dead rabbit boiling in a pot of water she screams and that was the best scene in the movie and um i really like the movie overall um it's a it's just a really great movie it was hard to believe that Adrian Lin did this movie and then did Deep Water. So like I said with Deep Water, it, it Deep Water was so bad. I start I I just I laughed a lot at it at 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 moments that weren't I'm sure weren't meant to be comedic. And I'm still not sure if they were meant to be because they were so ridiculous. I just started laughing a lot at Deep Water. And I don't know if I mentioned it the first time, but at the end of Deep Water, they have like B-roll of the the girl singing a song in the car. I'm like, again, why would you put this at the end of a erotic thriller movie if you're if the mood and tone is supposed to be serious and dark? Why would you have this like light-hearted credits thing? I I don't know. Anyway, Fatal Attraction is very good. And um, the best Ann Archer performance, probably. Um, and it's weird because, again, like Glenn Close is, she's been in a ton of stuff, like movies and TV, and everyone knows Glenn Close. Like, I, the first memory I probably have of Glenn Close is her being in, in like, Cruella in, like, the 101 Dalmatians, which I haven't seen either live action movie. But. I've never even heard of Ann Archer and looking through her filmography, she's done a ton of stuff and she's still working today. But I wonder how many people have never heard of Ann Archer. Um, But she did get the supporting actress nod. I did read that she's been a Scientologist since like 1970 something, which kind of ruined it for me. I, I mean, I, on on the one hand, I don't want to be those type of a type of person to be like, oh, they're a Scientologist, like fuck them. But at the same time, it's Scientology, and you know, it's it's not a great organization. But it didn't ruin it enough for me not to proceed with my Ann Archer movie binge, which we'll get to. Uh, we're almost at the twenty minute mark, and I have been talking about Fatal Attraction almost the whole time next up um i watched cursed films season one episode one the exorcist i'm interested uh, it was a good episode i'm interested in watching the rest of the series um you know the footage they have of people actually getting 
exorcists exorcisms you know i i don't know i don't i really don't know if they're that's kind of the point but i don't know if they're faking it and i don't know if they're actually getting exercised um they they could be playing it up and the the point that they were trying to make is like well they're just copying what they saw in the fictional movie the exorcist and it is like similar to what the girl was experiencing so i don't know i'm i'm interested i saw season 2 has like the wizard of oz which i'm i'm really looking forward to watching that i watched cursed films on shutter i forgot to mention i watched fatal attraction on hbo max i have my little excel sheet and it's a three column excel sheet first column shows the date i watched it second column shows the name of the movie or episode i watched and the third column shows the platform that i watched it if you're interested in learning excel i could give you a few tips but anyway we're gonna get on with the episode next episode or next movie i watched was lifeguard which also starring ann archer um let me look real quick lifeguard is a 1976 american drama film directed by daniel petrie it stars sam elliott and archer and other people kathleen quinlan who the name sounds familiar the face looks familiar but i can't pinpoint where i know kathleen quinlan from but so i i kind of go no i didn't google i searched ann archer on amazon.com and lifeguard is one of the first movies to pop up i watched it on paramount plus because my brother has a login lifeguard in the beginning of the movie there's a lot of footage of sam elliott just sitting he's he plays a lifeguard he's sitting at his lifeguard tower and there's like people watching people wearing bikinis um people walking on the beach an old man running there's just it's just like footage of a beach and i'm like okay where's this going but by the end of this movie i actually really liked it a lot um and it it the quality of the movie is, was pretty good but sam elliott plays an an aging lifeguard he's an older lifeguard and at one point a young a younger lifeguard comes and he's like i'm supposed to help you on the weekends and he's like going to school and he's young and sam elliott is the veteran lifeguard so he teaches him stuff that he should know stuff that only a veteran lifeguard would know and at one point kathleen quinlan comes up to him she plays a a young girl looks a lot younger than she is and um, sam elliott guesses that she's like 15 and she's like i'm 17 at one point they fuck and i almost thought it was going to be like a almost similar to like a fatal attraction where she goes nuts because she can't be with him but no she's just kind of a young sweet girl who has a crush on him and she really likes him and eventually he's like you know 
you're you're too young for me. This is illegal, and school is going to start soon. You should make uh, friends your own age, and I should stay with people my own women my own age. But kind of a weird subplot, you know. I wouldn't call it. No, actually, it is pedophilia, isn't it? Oh well, because um, she's underage. But he he's like a player. He's living life on his own rules. But I like the themes of the movie because he goes to his parents' house. And even though he has a good relationship with his dad and his mom and he's eating dinner with them and they're joking. They are joking around, laughing with each other. At one point, the mood kind of turns and the dad gets angry at the table and he's like, you're not a boy on the beach anymore. When are you going to grow up? And my dad has never said that to me, but that's something I can really, that really resonates with me. I can certainly understand. I apologize for my dog's barking. Jeez. And um, so he goes to this, like, well, when he's on the beach working, he sees an old classmate of his and the classmate works at a car dealership. And he's like, hey, I can get you a job. You, you'd be good in sales. And he goes to this 15-year reunion and everyone's asking what he's been up to. And he's embarrassed to say, like, um, I'm still a lifeguard. I'm still doing the same thing I was doing when I was in high school. And I can I can totally understand that. Like I, I haven't I've never been to a, a reunion. First of all, that doesn't um, interest me. I don't talk to anyone from high school. I, well, that's not true. I talk to one or two people from high school, but typically I only talk to people who are in the same situation as me, who are, are kind of lost in life, don't really know what they're doing in life, and are directionless and um, on the brink of death. So. He goes to this reunion. Everyone keeps asking him questions, and he he's embarrassed. Sometimes he lies. He's like, "I'm I'm I'm moving into car sales," and then he sees his ex girlfriend, who's recently divorced, play, and it's played by Ann Archer. And um, he kind of rekindles things with her. And basically, by the end of the movie, he has to ch- he has to choose between moving on with his life growing up moving in with an archer rekindling things with her getting a better job or doing what something that he likes and loves and i I like a spoiler alert but i like that by the end of the movie he decides to do the thing that we should all do and is he decides to stay a lifeguard he's like i'll stay as long as they they'll have me i love what i do and i'm really good at it and i don't want to sell cars for a living even if it means i get to move in with an archer again that's he doesn't say that explicitly but that's this the, that's the message of the movie and that's something that i really liked about the movie and it really resonated with me I purchased it, I watched it on Paramount Plus, but I purchased it on, like, Apple TV. I I may never watch it again on Apple TV, but I like owning things that I, I like. So I'm glad that I own it digitally. 
and I like the movie quite a bit. Um, and Sam Elliott is good in it. I don't know how old he was, but he's obviously significantly younger than he is today. That's how time and years and birthdays work. Um, he looks great, if I can say so. And he's a good actor. I, I slurred those words, but I'll say it again. He's a good actor. And I liked Ann Archer in it quite a bit. It's probably my second favorite uh, performance after Fatal Attraction. I know, I realize now that I've only talked about two Ann Archer movies. And um, does Ann Archer's screen test in Superman count as a movie? I'm going to go ahead and say no. Next movie, I don't have much to say about it, but it's called Too Scared to Scream. It also stars Ann Archer. I watched it on, on Paramount+, Plus, but the quality was very bad. I, I, I read that it was filmed in 1981, but the movie studio went bankrupt, so it didn't come out till 85. But the movie quality was really bad so early on i just tuned out i couldn't follow the plot really and i was looking at my phone i i could i shouldn't even really put this down as something that i've watched but um i don't have much to say about it and archer plays a cop i think a cop or a detective or something and but it focuses on ian mcshane who plays a creepy bellhop and there's nudity in the movie, um, and like Ian McShane, when he's at home, he's he lives with his mom, who's uh, he she can't speak and she's in a wheelchair, and he has to feed her. So there's obviously this movie was obviously like a, a derivative, weak weak ripoff of Psycho. And it doesn't pan out exactly like Psycho does, but there's obviously themes similar to Psycho in it. And you're made to think that Ian McShane has something... There's murders that happen in the movie, and the cops suspect Ian McShane. And by the end of the movie, first of all, they treat Ann Archer, who's supposed to be a, a cop. Well, she is a cop. But they treat her as if she's like a final final girl kind of character. And she's like screaming and running around. And I'm like, I don't really think a, a cop would do this. I, I understand that cops get scared too. But it's hard to imagine a female cop becoming like having elements of a final girl like screaming. At one point, Ann Archer dances which is like a weird scene I'm like, nothing about the movie really worked again i didn't pay too much attention to it i didn't like the movie by the end of the movie ian mcshane is not the bad guy it's this other bellhop who was like a seemingly nice guy the whole time they don't really focus on him you know typical horror movie trope and then he kind of explains what happened, but I didn't listen. I didn't pay attention much. I did not like Too Scared to Scream. So then I watched Superman 2, but we'll get to that at the end. I watched Green Ice, which it also stars Ann Archer. And I, I told my brother 
I watched Green Ice on Tubi. I told my brother Green Ice is one of the worst movies I have ever seen. But I started watching The Bubble. And I think The Bubble is easily one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, I can't talk about The Bubble because I haven't finished it yet. But I, I watched like 30 seconds of The Bubble and I had to pause it. 40 seconds and then i had to stop it the bubble is really really bad i don't understand how these big movie directors like apatow and adam mckay they used to be so funny and now they just make terrible movies i don't and they they almost make it purposely and purposefully terrible it's like they want to be hated or something or the sad state of affairs where they think that this stuff is actually funny. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand it. It's disturbing. And I'm not sure if I'm going to finish the bubble because I'm really in a state of suffering while I watch it. And I, that might sound funny, but I'm not joking. Like I'm watching it. Every moment is like cringeworthy. And I'm like, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to finish this. And yes, uh, in terms of being a movie fan and to be and wanting to be able to say that I finished the bubble, I finished a movie, I, I can understand that. But at the same time, I'm like, I keep thinking like life is very short. We all we all have a limited number of breaths on this earth. Why would I spend an hour and a half to finish this movie that's really bumming me out and just making me sad. I, I don't know if I'm going to finish the bubble, but I really hated the bubble. Anyway, back to Green Ice. I really didn't like Green Ice. It stars Ryan O'Neill and Ann Archer, and it's supposed to be kind of a an adventure, like a romantic adventure type thing, but... I just thought the writing in the movie was very bad. Um, first of all, the movie opens with like it's I think it's set in. Well, it's it opens with a group of people in like Colombia or something like that. And and there's like a group of Colombians and a white girl who are traveling through the forests or like traveling through the mountains of Colombia. I think it's Colombia. I apologize if it's not. And then they they run into a bunch of soldiers who are like, who are you guys? Why are you here? And they're like, we're just tourists. And they kind of search them. At one point, one of the soldiers gropes the white girl, like full on grabs her boobs. And then the girl slaps him. And she drops a canteen, and the canteen sounds like there's stuff in it. So they open the canteen, and there's these green crystal rock things in it, vernacularly locally known as green ice. And they end up shooting all of them, including the white girl. And the the guy tries to, like, sexually assault, or he, he kind of does sexually assault her, and then they shoot at all of them. So it's like they shoot all of them and then uh, one second later there's these this upbeat music 
like dun, 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 dun. and and it's like ryan o'neill driving a car and i'm like okay i'm really not into this movie at all i've heard ryan o'neill's name a lot because of we'll see you in hell they talk they talked about him in a few episodes i had never seen ryan o'neill's face ever on the internet or movies or otherwise until this movie it's the first time i ever saw his face his performance is not great he at least from this movie he's not really he's not a good actor he's not a great actor he's kind of a nothing in the movie but what i really hated about this movie is he's driving at the beginning of this movie and then ann archer comes out from this little like room or whatever and she's like can i get a ride and he's like sure and that's that's how they introduce the protagonists i said that weird protagonists of this movie she's just like are you heading to las hadas and he's like yeah she's like can i get a ride he's like sure that's how they're introduced to each other we know nothing about him or her he explains that he's an electronics engineer and he's unemployed so the protagonist of this movie is an unemployed electronics engineer i just the writing in this movie to me was very very bad at the beginning of the movie i feel like you should establish the who your characters are and what their motivations are and what their journeys are going to be or at least establish some kind of direction and this movie does none of that and there's like some kind of mix-up at the hotel and ryan o'neill goes along with it he ends up getting shot at and archer somehow saves him on a boat and i don't understand at any time why why he doesn't just go home why he doesn't just leave but somehow he gets roped into this like green green ice crystals stealing plot and i'm like why don't you just leave why don't you just go home i i really didn't like this movie i i I stopped this movie at 30 minutes i stopped it at 37 and somehow i was able to get to the end but i really didn't like it um of course i like ann archer she's beautiful and i like her acting but again good acting is not enough to save bad writing in any movie and I I managed to find one review where someone said oh, there's some cool like gadgets and all this stuff and I I guess but it's it's not really enough to save the movie. I I forget the word for it but there at one point the three John Larroquette shows up in this movie and there's three characters in the movie including John Larroquette and Ryan O'Neill, and they go up into these things. It's basically a hot air balloon, but instead of a basket, it's just the guy. So they are attached to the hot air balloon through some kind of mechanism. And the person reviewing the movie Green Ice was like, oh, it was so cool. They had these blah, blah, blah. I forget the word for it, and I don't care enough to look it up. But they shot these three stuntmen going up in these hot air balloon things and you know they shot them during the daytime they shot them during night 
and there's there's some wide shots of mountains like i kept thinking i can't believe that you know money had to be spent to make this movie someone had to pay the writer um the director the producers the crew the crew the actors um so they got they somehow got these wide mountain shots i don't think drones existed back then so i don't know i guess there's a they took cal um cameras up in helicopters i guess and it might not have been a super expensive movie but it still cost i'm assuming it still cost a lot of movie to make a, a lot of money to make this movie and i just can't believe that so much money was put into this movie and it's such a bad movie like we should be giving money to first of all better causes but i'm not going to go down that road we should be putting money to better movies like i was just in disbelief at how much effort time and money was put into this really crappy shitty movie i did not like green ice next up i watched the little things on hbo max um i after i watched the movie i listened to the we'll see you in hell episode i always listen to the episode up to the part where they're talking about the movie and then sometimes i'll I'll listen to the rest but if i haven't watched the movie typically i'll stop it so i finally listened to the rest of that episode where they talked about the little things neither of them liked it but their banter was very funny um on the little things I actually like the little things a lot. I like the tone. Tone for me goes a long way. Um like the Batman, like the little things. And John Lee Hancock, John Lee Hancock wrote and directed the little things. And he Pat Walsh mentioned that he um John Lee Hancock always mentions in interviews that he came up with this story he wrote the thing in 1993 and it's been in quote unquote development hell since then and at one point steven spielberg was slated to direct and he thought the story was too dark so he didn't end up doing it he wanted like clint eastwood to do it and like a bunch of other directors and it just never happened so by 2020 2021 he decided to direct it himself and he makes a point to say that he made the story in 1993 because it predates a lot of really great thrillers like 7 which came out I don't know 96 maybe so the little things obviously it's not as good as 7 it's not as good as a lot of movies and there's a lot of cliche stuff in it uh, some clunky dialogue um but i i liked it i liked the tone i liked the performances joe and pat didn't like the performances they didn't like well pat said denzel's performance was his laziest in a lot of years which i didn't agree with i think denzel's always good and i liked him in this movie they thought rami malek's performance was weird and i disagree i thought he was good in the movie um I I like Jared Leto. I like Jared Leto's opening scene when he's taking out the trash and you could tell that he's just a a weirdo freak. But I didn't like his 
scene when he's in the interrogation room and he's like messing with the cops and he's like, I'll take mine with pepperoni and jalapenos. Uh, well, maybe that's the fault of the writer, but I didn't like that. Sorry if I popped my peas when I said jalapenos and pepperonis. Um, so I guess I didn't love the movie, but I I liked it. I liked the I liked it a lot. I liked the tone. I liked the performances. Um, kept you guessing. I liked the themes. Um, the scene where Denzel goes into his. I guess you'd call it a hotel room. And then the guy asks him, do you want company? Referring to the hookers out in front. And um, he, there's this girl at the foot of his bed. And the audience is automatically going to think that, oh, he got a hooker. But then it's revealed to be like the ghostly apparitions of these girls that he couldn't save and spoiler alert eventually revealed that it's a girl that he accidentally killed that scene even though it was a short minor scene it kind of freaked me out you know stuff like that freak tends to freak me out and like just imagining i'm laying in bed in the dark and then there's a girl at the foot of the bed it's just the concept of it freaks me out so i i liked it it didn't work on Joe and Pat, but it worked on me. Um, next, I watched Promising Young Woman. And again, I, I listened to the We'll See You in Hell episode. They liked it a lot more than I did. And Pat, uh, Joe loved it. Um, I, I enjoyed watching it, but I didn't, I didn't love it. Um, I, I thought it was a, a strange movie and there was a lot of tonal shifts because at the beginning it was like light comedy, eventually it turns into black comedy. And at one, at some points there was like a romantic comedy. It, it felt like a romantic comedy. And then there was also thriller elements. So I don't know if the movie was trying to be multiple genres or a genreless film, I understand all the points that she was trying to make and it was very potent. Um, you know, I, I like that she was trying to get the angle at many different sides. Like, um, she was trying to point out that guys are not held accountable and they do things and they try to weasel themselves out of situations and everyone's guilty of this everyone's guilty of this everyone's guilty of this so she pretends to be drunk and then they try to take advantage of her and then she turns and she's like i'm not drunk what are you doing and and then there's this turn where they're like, I didn't even do anything. Everyone's guilty of this. Everyone says this. I'm not. It's almost like a child response. I didn't do anything. Well, you saw you saw a drunk girl and you try to take advantage. You try to keep her drunk. You try to make her more drunk. You try to touch her. You did touch her. 
um, you penetrated her while she was barely aware of what was going on. She didn't want to do anything and you forced her to do stuff. No, 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 it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything. Everyone's guilty of this. And I like how she made a point that it wasn't just the guys. Like, um, Alison Brie was like, oh, we were kids back then and we all thought it was funny, blah, blah, blah. Like, she's a terrible person, character in the movie. Connie Britton's like, oh, we... It was a long time ago. I don't remember the details. I remember the man. We helped the man. But the girl, da 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 da. I like that the writer director was pointing out the wrongdoings from multiple angles. And I get all the commentary. And then even Bo Burnham, who I've, I've never seen before. I might have seen like a picture, but I've never seen any of his stuff, any of his movies or any of his stand-up. I'm, I'm a little nervous to watch his inside, coming inside or whatever, um, stand-up special. I feel like I would just hate it, but I'm not sure. But even his character, like he's very likable in the movie and they they mentioned this in we'll see you in hell that they make a point that the guys are likable some of them but bo burnham especially he's likable and that's where the romantic comedy elements come in and then at the end of the movie he was quote unquote involved he was a bystander but again he's the same thing i I didn't even do anything but you did well exactly you yeah you did nothing you there's a girl getting raped by this guy and everyone's around everyone's around her cheering laughing and you saw it and you did nothing so yeah you're correct you you didn't even do anything so like i i get the commentary i enjoyed the movie i enjoyed her performance um carrie mulligan a lot in it um I guess she I believe she was nominated for best actress there's deservingly so I don't know who won I don't I don't believe she won um I just I feel like I di- I didn't love the movie cuz it was taking so many different turns that I it was it's hard, it was hard to follow the journey but I did enjoy my time watching the movie on HBO Max um Again, everybody's guilty. Next movie I watched was Nobody. Uh, Pat Walsh has talked about this a lot on We'll See You in Hell. I th- well, I watched it and I was very tired. I watched it after work. And that does affect your outlook on movies, unfortunately. So I was very tired, and um, I think Pat Walsh, for me, overhyped it. That you know, I it couldn't possibly measure up because he. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't affect me, but I like I liked it. I liked Bob Odenkirk in it. I just it felt like it was so similar to John Wick that, and it's the same writer. And you can't help but think like it's derivative of John Wick. Um, 
which maybe it is derivative, maybe it's not, but it, it was very similar. And I I explained it to my brother. It's basically John Wick. It's a, basically a John, older John Wick, but he has a family. And at the end, he he gets a cat instead of a dog. That being said, it's still a good movie and entertaining. Um, you know, Christopher Lloyd, Pat says he steals the movie. I don't think he steals the movie. He's very good in it, um, but he's he's not a huge part, maybe a pivotal part, kind of, but he has a few lines. You know, that there's that thing that Joe mentioned to Pat on We'll See You in Hell where... Um, he mentioned the Back to the Future thing where Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd show up on Jimmy Kimmel. And and Joe loved it. And I'm glad that Joe loved it. And people loved it. And I'm glad people loved it. But I thought it was so awkward. Because Christopher Lloyd, I th- I'm guessing he had a stroke or something. Because he was like really badly slurring his lines and like, I'm not trying to shit on the guy, but he was just like, come on, Marty, what year is it? Like, he was like that, like slow. And I I felt bad that they kind of made him do it. Maybe he really wanted to do it. Maybe he, he was all for it. But I thought it was awkward. Maybe I'll rewatch it and rethink it. But in this movie, which is years after that Back to the Future skit, on jimmy kimmel he sounded better um he appeared to be in better spirits than that jimmy kimmel experience uh appearance um the rizza was in it in a cool thing i will say there was that line that i kind of hated but he at the end of the movie he says ladies and gentlemen this is your captain speaking please get ready for takeoff. And then, and then he launches a guy through a wall. I was like, what the heck is that line? Like, I don't know why that needed to be in there. Also, I have no idea who Connie Nielsen is. Um, apparently Connie Nielsen was in Wonder Woman and Justice League. And I don't know who Connie Nielsen is. I always thought it was the lady from under the Tuscan sun. Um, I'm going to look that up. Under the Tuscan sun. Um, Diane Lane. So, and Diane, Diane Lane also in the justice league. I think, let me, let me get this right. Hold on. Let me look at her filmographo. Love filmographo. She's she's Martha Kent. I guess I'm just dumb because I thought Connie Nielsen in the Wonder Woman, what general as the Wonder Woman general or whatever. I thought that was Diane Lane, but Diane Lane also plays Martha Kent. I was. I'm just going to look up Diane Lane, Connie Nielsen, and maybe there's a compare there's an image comparing the two. 
I'm going nuts. I I guess I thought Connie Nielsen was Diane Lane. I don't know who Connie Nielsen is. Anyway, <laughs> Connie Nielsen is in Nobody. She plays Bob Odin. Okay, someone searched Connie Nielsen obituary. She's not dead. Why is there? Why is uh, why is someone searching Connie Nielsen obituary? She was born 65. She's 56 years old. She's not dead. <laughs> she her partner was Lars Ulrich at one point. Maybe maybe they think Lars Ulrich killed Connie Nielsen. Anyway, she's in Nobody. She plays Bob Odenkirk's wife. Um the movie is entertaining and I was kind of wondering why in his first fight scene it wasn't a great fight scene. I kept wondering why he doesn't block why he wasn't blocking. And it was on the bus and he kept getting hit and I guess that was the point like he used to be a great fighter but now he's older and he's fighting a, a group of hoodlums on a bus and he's not what he used to be. And, you know, some things aren't really made clear. I don't really understand what kind of organization he was in prior with his dad and the RZA. Not a, not a lot of stuff is clear. And I read that they're making a sequel to Nobody and they also want to make a mini, a small scene, maybe crossover between Nobody and John Wick, which would be cool, but they're not trying to make like some sort of cinematic universe or anything like that. I liked nobody, but I didn't I didn't love it. It was a little slow and my wife liked it a lot more than I did. She was cheering and laughing throughout the whole thing. And then at the end she was like, What where's number two? Is there a second one? So she was into it a lot more than I was. Um I want to I want to rewatch the first John Wick because I really love the first John Wick. It felt like a cowboy bebop live action movie. And with each subsequent release, John Wick 2, John Wick 3, I like it a little bit less. So that was Nobody on HBO Max. The last movie I watched in this movie corner thing, well, the last movie I listed was The Making of Superman 2. So it's time to talk about Superman 2. So I watched the Donner Cut, and as I was reading it, I realized that the faint movies, the faint memories that I have of Superman 2 when I was a kid was of the Lester cut, the theatrical cut, the theatrical cut. Because there were things in the Donner cut that I don't remember. A lot of it I don't remember. So um, I'm, I'm looking at this article for from screen rant it says superman 2's donner cut explained biggest changes to the 1980 movie so like bullet point i'm just going to read like the short bullet point headlines of the paragraphs the tone of the donner cut is less comedic so i guess in the theatrical theatrical cut um Richard Lester, or I don't know if it was the writer or the... That, that's the thing I uh, I don't understand. 
Richard Donner didn't write Superman 2. And Richard Lester didn't write Superman 2. So I... I, I mean, I don't know how movies work. I don't know how directions and pr- productions work. So I don't know how it's possible how one cut can get a lot of jokes and the other cut cannot. When neither of the director wrote the movie, I guess the director has power over which scenes to shoot. I, I don't understand it anyway. I guess the theatrical cut had a bunch of jokes in it, including... Um, I'm looking at the image now, Zod, Ursa, and Nan on Mount Rushmore. I forgot the name until I read it right now. And Donner's cut decided to take a bunch of the comedic scenes out and make it a more serious tone. And I would side on on Donner's side because usually the jokes don't work. Although in the Donner cut, as Joe DeRosa pointed out, there is a bit where the girl, um, Miss Teschmacher or whatever, um, she goes to the restroom at the Fortress of Solitude and she flushes. And Joe hates that joke. I I didn't mind it too much, but it's not a good joke. Next headline, Zod and his minions escape in different ways. So I guess in the theatrical cut, there was a hydrogen bomb. Um, There was another, like a hydrogen bomb hurled into space, and then Superman had to thwart it. But somehow it collided with the Phantom Zone little glass frame that the three bad guys were stuck in. And they were able to escape that way. And in Donner's version, the beginning of the movie, there's a kind of a lengthy recap of Superman 1 that's directly in the beginning of Superman 2, which I didn't think was necessary. But I did only see Superman 1 like days before I watched Superman 2. So so maybe it, it worked. It would have worked on some people. Keep in mind the Donner cut only came out in 2006 on like Blu-ray. It's not I don't think it was a theatrical release, but decades after the theatrical release of Superman 2. Um so I guess in the theatrical cut uh, Lois Lane doesn't really suspect Clark Kent is Superman until they're at Niagara Falls. And he, she sees him without his glasses and decides to hurl her, him, herself down the Niagara Falls. I'm not sure if it was the Niagara Falls or it was a, some other place. Because Niagara Falls, she probably would have died now that I think about it. But he doesn't save her, not directly. He kind of runs after her. And then he drops his glasses in the fire and he fetches them out and it proves that he he's unhurt and that's how she see she realizes he's superman but in the donner cut at the beginning of the movie she already suspects that he's superman because she sees the newspaper and she draws glasses on him 
And then she hurls herself out of a building and he doesn't save her. Well, he kind of saves her, but turns back into Clark Kent and goes up the building. I, I don't know if I need to do a point by point difference between the Donner cut and the theatrical cut. I can't say theatrical and it's making me mad. There's also an article here, a clickable article that says Good Burger 2, Nickelodeon's Forgotten Sequel Explained. Um, let me quickly go through the differences. Marlon Brando's Jor-El returns in the Donner Cut. I guess there was some disputes in the theatrical cut and Marlon Brando wanted like percentages off of um, the gross and stuff. And... He didn't want to... I don't. Anyway, in the theatrical cut, they have La, Laura Kent. What the heck am I talking about? They have Superman's mom come back instead of Marlon Brando. But Marlon Brando returns in the Donner cut. Um... There's more Lex Luthor in the Donner cut because I believe Gene Hackman didn't want to come back if Richard Donner didn't come back. In the theatrical cut, there there's a sequence in The Fortress of Solitude, I remember this, where Superman has a bunch of weird powers like turning... He, there's multiple versions of himself, at least visually... And he takes off the S off his cape and throws it like a blanket. I remember that when I was a kid, like barely. And again, at the end of the theatrical cut, there, Superman kisses Lois. And that's how she forgets that Clark Kent is Superman. And in the Donner cut, he just spins around the world again which i had a problem with in superman 1 and in donner's cut he does it again in superman 2 so it completely negates um it completely negates the whole movie like the movie never happens and it's like okay well that means nothing happened so i don't know they also use a full screen test of Margot Kidder as Lois Lane in the Donner Cut, which is strange, but I understand because he never shot it. And then in 2006, when the Donner Cut came out, Christopher Reeve, well, they couldn't reshoot it anyway because everyone was older. They didn't have the de-aging. Also, Christopher Reeve died in 2004, I believe. Um... Also, I wanted to mention, I watched The Making of Superman 2. So, strangely enough, on the Donner... In the Donner Cut disc, there's not a lot of special features. There's only, like, a brief... Like, a, a few-minute clip of Donner explaining, like... He's basically thanking the fans. Like, thank you to everyone, all the fans. There was a fan movement saying they wanted a Donner cut of the film. And I just wanted to thank everyone. And he kind of explained what it was. And that's my, that's pretty much it as far as special features go on the Donner cut disc. And I figured maybe there's more stuff on the theatrical cut disc. And there was. So I eventually popped it in. 
there's a whole soup making of Superman two documentary thing that it opens with like a party at the opening of Superman two, which I thought was kind of strange because there's these celebrities going to this party of the release. Why, why would you want a cameraman in your face at this party? Like Arnold was there and they were like, he stayed until dawn to celebrate with the actors, blah, blah, blah. Jack O'Halloran was there who played Non. Also, Sarah Douglas hugs Non at the party, going into the party. Sarah Douglas also very, very attractive. Um, I believe Terrence Stamp was there, Chris Reeve, Margot Kidder no mention if at all of Don or cut in the making of Superman two documentary, which I understand, but kind of sucks. It also kind of sucks that, you know, Donner was obviously instrumental in making Superman one and he had shot 70 to 75% of Superman two. And then he got, into like disagreements with the producers, the Salkinds. So they took him off Superman 2 and he they made him finish Superman 1 because they were making it both movies at the same time. And it kind of sucks that they kind of shove him off Superman 2 after he had done, done so much work on both movies. And... um. I remember Donner saying that it was bittersweet looking at footage that Lester had shot because he needed to include some of Lester's movie into his Donner cut, obviously, to make the story make sense. And he like he had bittersweet feelings about it because it was kind of his baby and he had to let it go. Also, I want to mention that Christopher Reeve appears in the documentary The Making of Superman 2. And I almost didn't recognize him, not mostly because of his voice. And obviously, when he's Superman, he has the the, the hair is all slicked up, slicked back with the little curl, and he has the costume. And as as Clark Kent, he's in a suit with glasses. But when he's in civilian clothes, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about good and bad actors like your Chris Pratt's and your Seth Rogan's. And I hope to, I I hate to go after the same two actors over and over, but there are plenty of examples where when you hire Seth, I've said this multiple times, but I, I just, I can't get over it. I'll never get over it. Um, when you hire Seth Rogen to be in your movie, you want Seth Rogen to be in your movie. You want his face. You want his voice. You want Seth Rogen to act like Seth Rogen. You want Chris Pratt to act like Chris Pratt. The hugest stars are not giving performances. They are acting as themselves. Chris Pratt is going to sound like Chris Pratt as Mario. He's not going to sound like Mario. He's going to sound like Chris Pratt. And Pat Walsh mentioned in a recent um, episode that Danny McBride put on a performance in Mitchell versus the Machines. And he doesn't necessarily sound like Daniel Mc, Danny McBride. He sounds like 
a character, which now I want to see the movie more because that's something I can respect. If he can differentiate himself and sound like a character and not like Danny McBride, Danny McBride, I can respect that a lot. But Chris Reeve in this documentary, when he's just speaking like himself, he sounds like a different person, a different human. He sounds like Chris Reeve. He doesn't sound like Clark Kent. He doesn't sound like Superman. So I I almost like didn't recognize his voice because he's putting on such a performance. You see him in Superman 1 and 2, and when he's Clark Kent, he's putting on a performance. He sounds like a bumbling buffoon. He's like, well, you know, Lois, um, I, I don't think that's a really, really great idea because that, that's kind of dangerous, don't you think? He's really putting on a performance. His voice sounds different. He he sounds like a different human. And then when he's Superman, it's a different... His, his posture, he stands upright. He looks different. He sounds different. He's like, um, I'm sorry, kid. Um, only one ride per customer. Like He sounds like a different human. And it's, I, there are still good actors today, you know, like I've mentioned before, and I hate to list two Marvel actors, but um, Benedict Cumberbatch, he really puts a different spin on every character, at least in my opinion so far. At one point, he was, he didn't really do a Southern accent in Power of the Dog. He did an American accent. Not really a southern accent, but there's a movie. I don't know the title of it, but he he was putting a full-on heavy southern accent. He was... Jodie Foster, I believe, is in the movie as well. It was a political movie about like Guantanamo Bay. I don't know the title, but it was on the TV, and we, my wife and I didn't catch the beginning. We still don't know what the title is, but... For whatever reason, the movie caught our eye and we watched it till the end. Also at the end, it, it's, there was a note that Obama like made this poor guy who was like innocent stay at Guantanamo Bay for like years. I don't know. It was kind of weird. Also, oh, there was a, I saw a thumbnail for something called something like all the national parks or the national parks of the world. And there was a guy who looked like Obama. And I'm like, all the national parks or the national parks of the world and Obama. I looked it up. It was Obama. I guess he's narrating it. Maybe he's hosting it. Obama's will probably the cool, the coolest president that ever sat in the White House. He's trying to spread the word about the national parks, which is awesome. I'll be checking out that series on the Netflix. What the fuck was I talking about? Um, Superman 2. Uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, actor, blah, blah, blah. And the other great actor, as I've mentioned before, is... I forget his name, but it's Hawkeye. I watched Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner. I watched him in Wind River and he put on a great performance. He was like tearing up in spots. He kind of had an accent because he was Arapaho or something. 
So good actors and good performers still do exist. But like I mentioned before, today we call bad actors actors and we call good actors character actors. And I just love that um, Christopher Reeve really put on a performance. He gave it his all in these first two movies. Three and four, we still, I still have to see. And Richard Pryor is in three, I believe. And I'm assuming they just drop off in quality just because, you know, Donner did that first one. And he's no longer, I mean, he got the Donner cut for two, but he's not part of three or four, I don't believe. So I'm actually looking forward to watching three and four. I hope they're not terrible. You know, by watching one and two and watching some of the special features, I am I am able to appreciate these old movies that, you know, they... I, I, again, I'm not sure if they, if they were the first superhero movies, but they definitely were front runners and precursors to the modern superhero movies like Batman, Spider-Man, and then the MCU. Like, I I don't know if it's a stretch to say the MCU wouldn't exist without these movies. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. It's hard to say, and you, you there's no really w- way to say because these movies probably would have happened anyway, but they probably would have looked and felt a lot different if Donner hadn't done that first Superman. So we'll see, but... Also, I am looking forward to seeing Man of Steel because, well, just I, I'm looking forward to see all these Superman movies. I, I I want to revisit Superman Returns, Man of Steel, and see how they differ from Christopher Reeve. I, I'm assuming that Superman Returns was meant to be a direct sequel to Christopher Reeve's Superman because Brandon Routh he's doing a almost like direct direct impression of Christopher Reeve as Superman which is fine but it's kind of a bummer because he wasn't able to give his own performance he's doing a direct impression and obviously Henry Cavill was went in a different direction with Zack Snyder um, I, I, I wanted to see if Ursa shows up in Man of Steel and I don't think she does, which is disappointing, but Sarah Douglas is, I've mentioned it before, very attractive. That's all I, that's all I got for Superman 2. I think, um, I talked about Chris Reeve, talked about Donner. I think I liked Superman 1 more just because I do like a good origin story. I know some people don't like origin stories. They think they're boring and they don't care how the character got started. Um, Or they're tired of it at this point because essentially it's the same thing over and over again. I will say that the beginning of Superman... well. I like how Superman 1, there's like, it's almost like three movies. You know, we got the Krypton portion. We got the 
Smallville portion, and then we got the Metropolis portion. So it's almost like three different, well, it is three different portions, parts of the movie. And I like that. I like that aspect. And I like a good origin story. But I will say that the beginning of Superman 1, where after he becomes Superman, like he goes through that transformation during that 12 years when he's talking to Jor-El. And then he flies away and then he's fighting a bunch of bad guys in kind of a montage. That reminds me a lot of the first Spider-Man movie when after he first gets his powers, discovers his powers. There is a montage of him fighting crime, fighting criminals. And again, I, I don't know. I don't know who to credit that to, if that's Donner's doing or if that's the writer like Mario Puzo or if that was David Kep's doing in Spider-Man or if that was Sam Raimi's. I don't like I don't I don't know how it all works. I know it's a combination of the writer and director. I don't know. But I, I liked Superman 1 a little bit more than Superman 2 just because I liked the good origin story. Iron Man 1... I really love and it's a great origin story um i saw one girl online she like didn't like super um iron man one because she she said that all the bad guys were from iraq or iran or whatever and she said the movie was very racist um Maybe I'll rewatch it and I'll see her point, but I, I I don't even know what to think of it. I I don't I don't look at politics a lot. I try not to. It's it's miserable. And I think the point that these people were terrorists and killing people and making people suffer and Iron Man was supposed to be the good guy. But I think this girl's point was well, how come the bad guys were from Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever. I hate to end this episode on that note. Um, I'm probably going to do Superman 3 next. I think that would make the most sense after doing Superman 1 and Superman 2. You know, I just realized I barely talked about Superman 2. I did like it, and I did kind of tune out at a certain point, but I feel like I, I want to rewatch the theatrical cut to try to, to try and compare, but that's kind of a, a heavy feat after having just watched the Richard Donner cut. But I did like the action. I, I like in the documentary, The Making of Superman 2, they go into like a bunch of the effects just like Superman 1, but like the wind effects and the the miniature effects, they they built all these like these mini cars going and each miniature car had a its own headlights. Um and they had these big fans and a bunch of stuntmen working long, long hours to get the destruction and the tornadoes of metropolis right um 
And and Joe mentioned that at that time that Superman two was like the best uh, superhero movie of all time during that time. So I don't know. I did like it. I think I think I liked one a little better. In the documentary, the quality was significant significantly lower than the Blu-ray of Superman two, the Richard cut. Richard Donner cut that I watched and it almost looked better because you know with lower quality you can't really tell like with the blue screens and the green screens like on the blu-ray you can tell like there's only so much you can do to hide that stuff but but in the lower quality it it really look it really looks like they're flying like the three villains in the air so I, I don't know maybe I should like get the dvd copies or something i don't know but i got the blu-ray copies of all i don't know if there's a difference and maybe there's no difference maybe it's the same quality blu-ray or dvd i i don't know but that's all i got for this um i'm almost at an hour and a half um i don't believe anyone's listening to this which is fine i stopped editing these episodes because it's I, I I hate my voice. I hate listening to my voice. And it's just too much to go back and cut out all the my mouth noises and stuff. Um, I don't like myself. I don't like my voice. Uh, I hate myself dearly. It's hard to get other people to like yourself when you have so such low, such no regard for oneself. Um, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I have no direction, even into my old age. Um, I'm just going to end up a nobody, um, probably homeless, and probably dead soon. Thanks for listening. Stay odd and keep on playing.